Hello and welcome to the Brief News Brief Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Lopez. This show is presented by The Life Given Radio. I'm so glad you could join the show today. Uh, we're going to do something very different. Normally, this show gives a rundown of a week's worth of news in 15 minutes or less. Today, I want to build on something I've been talking about for the last three weeks. And if you have uh, been with the show for at least that long, you will know that we have talked about the Afghanistan debacle. And I've mentioned along the way how it's it would be good for you and I to delve into the history of this issue to better understand the present. Tomorrow will be the 20th anniversary of 9-11, of that crazy terror attack on U.S. soil. And so today's episode is titled From 9-11 to Now, What History Helps Us Understand in the Present. And I'm not necessarily going to tell you what to think. I do want to give you some of the history, though, from that day. And then on events moving forward throughout that next month. And then we will finish off with this last August. And an article that leaves us with a very interesting question. And once again, I don't necessarily want to take a side. I do want to give you food for thought and let you do your own digging right before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Now, before we get started, we're going to do a lot of reading of articles. This is a history, almost after all, and I do want to uh, say that I will be reading straight from articles, excerpts from the White House archives, archives from CNN, New York Times, the whole nine yards, up until the present day from a recent White House post and uh, the Washington Post up until last month. So with that disclaimer, let's jump in. September 12th, 2001. This report from the New York Times, entitled, U.S. Attacked, Hijacked Jets, Destroyed Twin Towers, and Hit Pentagon in Day of Terror. Quote, It kept getting worse. The horror arrived in episodic bursts of chilling disbelief, signified first by trembling floors, sharp eruptions, cracked windows. There was the actual unfathomable realization of a gaping, flaming hole in first one of the tall towers and then the same thing all over again in its twin. There was the merciless sight of bodies helplessly tumbling out, some of them in flames. Finally, the mighty towers themselves were reduced to nothing. Dense plumes of smoke raced through the downtown avenues, coursing between the buildings shaped like tornadoes on their sides. Every sound was cause for alarm. A plane appeared overhead. Was another one coming? No, it was a fighter jet. But was it friend or enemy? People scrambled for their lives, but they didn't know where to go. Should they go north, south, east, or west? Stay outside? Go indoors? People hid beneath cars and each other. Some contemplated jumping into the river. For those trying to flee the very epicenter of the collapsing World Trade Center towers, the most horrid thoughts of all finally dawned on them. Nowhere was safe. 
For several panic-stricken hours yesterday morning, people in lower Manhattan witnessed the inexpressible, the incomprehensible, the unthinkable. I don't know what the gates of hell look like, but it's got to be like this, said John Maloney, a security director for an internet firm in the Trade Center. I'm a combat veteran, Vietnam, and I never saw anything like this. The first warnings were small ones. Blocks away, Jim Farmer, a film composer, was having breakfast at a small restaurant on West Broadway. He heard the sound of a jet. An odd sound. Too loud, it seemed, to be normal. Then he noticed all the pigeons in the street flew up. It was the people outside on the sidewalk who saw the beginning. At 8.45, David Blackford was walking toward work in a downtown building. He heard a jet engine and glanced up. I saw this plane screaming overhead, he said. I thought it was too low. I thought it, was, it wasn't going to clear the tower. Within moments, his fears were confirmed. The plane slammed into the north, north face of One World Trade Center. As he watched, he said, you could see the concussion move up the building. It was a large plane flying low, said Robert Pacino, another witness. There was no engine trouble. He didn't try to maneuver. This plane was on a mission. Dark spots fell from the sides of the buildings. At first, it wasn't clear what they were. Sarah Sampino, who worked across the street, noticed black smoke outside and went to the window. We saw bodies flying out of the windows. She said, it was the 85th floor. I used to work on that floor. James Wang, 21, a photography student, snapping pictures of people doing Tai Chi at a nearby park, looked up and saw people high in the North Tower. They seemed like tiny figurines, and he didn't know if they were awaiting rescue or merely looking out. They were standing up there, he said, and they jumped. One woman, her dress was billowing out. Inside the towers, people felt it without knowing what it was. At about 15 minutes to 9, Anne Proser, 29, rode the elevator to the 90th floor of Tower 1, where her global banking office was. As the door opened, she heard what seemed like an explosion. She didn't know it, but the first plane had just hit several floors above her. I got thrown to the ground before I got to our suite, she said. I crawled inside. Not everybody was at work. She said she tried to leave, but there was so much debris in the air she couldn't breathe. Port Authority rescuers finally steered her to a stairway. Tim Lingerfielder, 36, an office manager at a small investment banking, banking firm, was sitting before his computer terminal out on the 52nd floor of Tower 1. He had just sent an email to his sister in Minnesota. Nothing special, just how was she and what he had had for breakfast. The windows rattled. He heard a loud noise. The entire building shook. He looked up. Outside the windows, he noticed rubble falling, and he thought, that can't be from here. Only two others were at work, a father and a son, who were both bond traders. They said they had better get out. They hurried to the stairs and, along with flocks of others, began their descent. When I got to the 18th floor, my cell phone rang, Mr. Lingenfielder said. It was my sister. She said a plane had hit and to get out now. End quote. September 16th, 2021. From the White House Archives. Remarks by the President upon arrival. President Bush, quote, Today, millions of Americans mourned and prayed, and tomorrow we go back to work. Today, people from all walks of life give thanks for the heroes. They mourn the dead. They ask for God's good graces on the families who mourn, and tomorrow, the good people of America go back to work, to their shops, their fields, American factories, 
and they go back to work. Our nation was horrified, but it's not going to be terrorized. We're a great nation. We're a nation of resolve. We're a nation that can't be cowed by evildoers. I've got great faith in the American people. If the American people had seen what I had seen in New York City, you'd have great faith too. You'd have faith in the hard work of the rescuers. You'd have great faith because of the desire for people to do what's right for America. You would have great faith because of the compassion and love that our fellow Americans are showing each other in times of need. I also have faith in our military, and we have got a job to do. Just like the farmers and ranchers and business owners and factory workers have a job to do, my administration has a job to do, and we're going to do it. We will rid the world of the evildoers. We will call together freedom-loving people to fight terrorism. And on, on this day, of on the Lord's Day, I say to my fellow Americans, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your love for one another. And tomorrow when you get back to work, work hard like you always have. But we've been warned. We've been warned there are evil people in this world. We've been warned so vividly and we'll be alert. Your government is alert. The governors and mayors are alert that evil folk still lurk out there. As I said yesterday, people have declared war on America and they have made a terrible mistake because this is a fabulous country. Our economy will come back. We'll still be the best farmers and ranchers in the world. We'll still be the most innovative entrepreneurs in the world. On this day of faith, I've never had more faith in America than I have right now. End quote. Nearly a month later, October 7th, 2001, CNN, from the CNN archives, this article was entitled, Afghanistan Wakes After Night of Intense Bombings. Quote, daylight broke over Afghanistan Monday after hours of intense bombing by U.S. and British forces overnight. The first strikes in an international campaign to flush out suspected terrorism mastermind Osama bin Laden and punish those who have protected him. The attacks against the ruling Taliban came almost a month after the September 11th terrorist attacks that destroyed the World Trade Center in New York and heavily damaged the Pentagon. The first strikes began about 8.45 p.m. Sunday and targeted the Taliban's air defense installations, defense ministry, airport-based command centers, airfields, electrical grids, and other energy production facilities. U.S. Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld said about 15 inland bombers, 25 strike aircraft, and U.S. and British ships and submarines fired about 50 Tomahawk missiles against terrorist targets. There was no immediate news on damage assessment. The Pentagon is expected to use spy planes and surveillance satellites to help gauge the success of its first night of bombing. CNN's Kamal Haider, reporting from inside Afghanistan, said four waves of U.S.-British attacks struck at the heart of the southern city of Kandahar. The strikes came about every one to one and a half hours, he said. A senior Taliban official said the re regime's command system and radar system at the Kandahar airport was destroyed. CNN's Chris Burns in northern Afghanistan said, quote, bright flashes of light one after another, end quote, hit the region for six hours from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. local time. The opposition Northern Alliance also fired rockets at Taliban front lines, Burns said. Northern Alliance commanders citing the opposition group's intelligence sources inside Taliban-controlled areas of Af Afghanistan said U.S. and British forces struck at least seven locations, including the airports in Kandahar and Kabul, and the Taliban Ministry of Defense in Kabul. Power was knocked out in the Afghan capital. End quote.
So there's some history. Let's wrap this up with what has happened as we've wrapped up nearly a 20-year war. This from the White House, entitled Remarks by President Biden on the End of the War in Afghanistan, August 31st, 2021. President Biden, quote, Last night in Kabul, the United States ended 20 years of Afghanistan, in Afghanistan, the longest war in American history. We completed one of the biggest airlifts in history, with more than 120,000 people evacuated to safety. The number is more than double what most experts thought were possible. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. Only the United States had the capacity and the will and the ability to do it, and we did it today. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. For weeks, they risked their lives to get American citizens, Afghans who helped us, citizens of our allies and partners and others on board planes and out of the country, and they did it facing a crush of enormous crowds seeking to leave the country, and they did it knowing ISIS-K terrorists, sworn enemies of the Taliban, were lurking in the midst of those crowds. And still the men and women of the United States military, our diplomatic corps and intelligence professionals did their job and did it well, risking their lives not for professional gains, but to serve others, not in a mission of war, but in a mission of mercy. 20 service members were wounded in the service of this mission. 13 heroes gave their lives, end quote. And thus concludes 20 years in Afghanistan. But I want to leave you with this, this excerpt from the Washington Post published August 26, 2021, entitled, It Wasn't Hubris That Drove America Into Afghanistan, It Was Fear. Quote, Americans long remembered where they were when they learned about the sinking of the Lusitania in 1915. The shock and horror of that event in which a German submarine deliberately sank a British ocean liner with nearly 2,000 men, women, and children aboard, produced more than moral outrage. It also reshaped Americans' perception of the world and their role in it, ultimately leading them into the First World War. But neither their outrage at Germany nor their reconfigured view of foreign policy lasted very long. Ten years later, Americans still remembered the Lusitania, but they did not remember what, why they went to war, or more specifically, how they felt about the series of events beginning with the sinking, the ultimate, that ultimately led them to embrace war as their only remaining option. Instead, they came to regret their intervention in that world and to wonder what, or rather, who had gotten them into it. Americans have undergone a similar experience over the two decades since the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. The feelings and perceptions of threat that led them to war in Afghanistan have faded, and all that is left are the consequences of that decision, the cost in lives and money, the inevitably mixed and uncertain results, and the unanswerable question, was it all worth it? End quote. And that's where I want to leave off with you today. The question, was it all worth it, should be answered by a rigorous study of what our decisions were that took us over there, what the consequences were, and also the effects of it over that 20-year span, and what did we accomplish? You cannot divorce, though, 
feelings and emotion because that certainly galvanizes and blinds people groups into doing almost the unthinkable and the impossible for good or ill. And I don't even want to get into my take on it, but I'd be curious to hear your thought. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me at thebriefnewsbrief at gmail.com. I wait to hear what you have to say. God bless, and I will speak with you all next Friday. Remember who the real enemy is, Ephesians 6, 12. Thank you.